Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. When I first met Bobby, who's one of our interns, um, he was attending the Marthama Church, Chicago Marthama Church in Des Plaines. It's in Des Plaines, right? And uh, he was a leader there. And he, was, he still is a sixth-grade um, teacher in the Chicago public school system. But he had a, an inkling towards ministry. Now, the church he was attending is an old, old church. It, it, it's, it traces its roots back to the, um, to the Apostle Thomas, who made early trips to India and did a lot of evangelistic work there. And so uh, it has a very, very long history. But they also don't acknowledge any of the seminaries in the United States as being valid training for their church system. They have a very good seminary out in India, but they don't acknowledge any of the ones here. And Bobby wanted to attend a seminary in the United States, so he was stuck. Where does he get his practical ministry training? And so we had a conversation, and I felt really sorry for him, you know, and uh, he was just begging so pitifully. And so, no, we, I, I sensed the leadership gifts in this man. I really felt like it would be a great fit. And I think you'll all agree with me that the contribution he's made to our church family has just been immeasurable. We've been blessed by his musical gifts and also by his gift of teaching. And we've gotten to hear it only a couple times, but we're going to get to hear from him again this morning. And he's going to preach this morning about the covenant that God made with David. So let's welcome him. And uh, and let me pray for him, and then we can greet him. Lord, we pray for Bobby. Thank you for his ministry at this church. Thank you for his ministry to his family. Thank you, Lord, for the excitement that we have in our hearts as we think about the years ahead in his life and ministry. And we believe, Lord, the best is yet to come, and you are shaping him into a fine leader. And we ask now, Lord, that as he preaches your word, he would do it filled with your Holy Spirit, and we would hear as though we are hearing from you. And we pray that these words would change our lives, changing even the way that we think and feel, so that we might become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. Empower him now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's welcome Bobby up with some uh, applause here. Uh, Good morning. It's really a a great privilege to be here with you and to share this morning from God's Word. Uh, I do want to recognize before I begin just uh, a a few people. Uh, First, I want to recognize Renee, uh, my wife, and um, she and I are doing this crazy life together. Um, Right now, uh, like uh, Pastor Dave mentioned, I'm teaching sixth grade in the Chicago Public Schools and attending seminary part-time. And also this year, uh, Renee and I decided that maybe it's time for me to uh, go further in my teaching uh, and try to get a national board certification, for those of you who are familiar with that. So this year is just insane, and, and the insanity doesn't just reside within my head. Renee's kind of insane, too, because not only is she taking care of both of our boys, Micah and Ethan, at home, but she's working part-time as well. So you know, I just want to recognize her contribution to what we're trying to do together. Uh, another person I want to recognize... Um, I have some kind of deep Darth Vader booming voice happening right now, but I don't know what's that all about. Um, another person I want to recognize, recognize is uh, Christian Park. And, you know, he, Christian hasn't received any recognition for this, but as we've moved from uh, AFC to a, a portable church system, uh, you may or may not know, but Christian was the one responsible for deciding all these pieces uh, to put together. 
and uh, PCI sent out their consultant, and they gave us their list of what they thought was good, but it was really Christian's list of all these things here uh, that really got the ball rolling and got us getting these things. So I just want to recognize, and if we could just recognize what Christian has done and just getting these things together. And, and lastly, uh, the last person I want to just acknowledge is Andy Choi, and he's, a, he's another person who recently became a, a deacon at our church. Where's Andy? There he is. He, you know, he recently became a deacon at our church, and uh, Andy is a guy that, as you come here, you don't realize what he does behind the scenes. He coordinates the different parts of the worship service. He coordinates the people talking, uh, what presentations are happening, and all those things. And week after week after week goes by, and he goes unnoticed. And so if we could just thank Andy for all that he's done for us behind the scenes. Well, if you would, would you please pray with me together before we uh, begin the sermon? Father, we just thank you and praise you, God, because you are more than a God who makes sermons good. And you're more than a God who just helps people speak. But God, this morning we acknowledge that you are the God of the universe. Lord, this universe was founded by your hands. Lord, you are the God and the ruler over all nations. Lord, people don't recognize it. Kings and those in authority don't realize it, but you are ultimately in control and you have the say. Father, this whole world is, 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 on a, is, is part of a plan. And Lord, that plan is your plan. And we acknowledge that you are the God of that plan. You are the author, the fulfiller, and the perfecter of that plan. And God, this morning, we also want to thank you that you are all those things. But God, you are indeed a God who even listens to our prayers for a good sermon. And so, Lord, you see my heart, you see uh, my nervousness and my anxiety. And Lord, as you've told us before, you don't want us to be anxious or stressed because that's not where your spirit has control. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would have control of my heart. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would have control of everyone's heart here, God. Lord, where there's anxiety and stress and worry and, and fatigue, oh Lord God, for this, these next moments, Lord, would you uh, give us the ability to focus on your word, to hear from you, to be renewed by you and the great promises that you have for us in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We thank you for this morning. Lord, we acknowledge that everything that is going to happen that will have eternal significance is something that you will do. And so we ask for that, and we pray that our lives would be changed as we know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine this scenario. Heath Allison is sick. Now, if you don't know who Heath is, Heath is a, a member of our church who week after week has been drawing pictures for our current ser sermon series, The Hundred Things. So every week, there's a new picture drawn by, Heath's, uh, drawn by Heath and put up here. And so this week, Heath Allison is sick. And I want you to imagine, if you would, that you are a master artist. And P, uh, Pastor Dave gives you a call this week and says, hey, you know what? Heath is sick this week. 
but I need you to draw the picture for this week's sermon. So you say, all right, you know, I can help out. What's the topic? And PD says, Pastor Dave says, uh, God's covenant with David. What would you draw? What would you draw? Maybe you would draw maybe some kind of tablet uh, of some sort. I want you to think about that. What would you draw? Maybe you would draw a picture of David and God, or maybe you would draw some kind of like contract-looking thing where people are signing something, but what would you draw if you had that assignment? And I think the question points to this. It's a tough assignment, right? But why? Because the idea of covenant is something that's really vague to us. It's, it's, it's something that we're not sure how this works or how it happens. You've got to draw this, and you may know some facts. You've got your tablet there. You may know some facts. Maybe you know that a covenant is a, an agreement between two people. It's an agreement between God and men. God makes promises, and men are supposed to respond in faith. Maybe you know that it's a binding agreement. Maybe you know that the two parties involved, God and men, they're legally bound to carry through on their obligations of the covenant. Maybe you know this. Maybe you know that covenants, you know what, they're not supposed to be broken. Well, let me just correct that statement is that, yes, they're not broken on God's end, but we'll realize today that they're often and always broken on man's end. This assignment is tough because we're not sure what covenants represent. Well, today we're going to look at the covenant between God and David and try to see what it consists of and see how that affects our lives today. All right? You with me? Well, let's start with a little background, a little background on the life of David. Um, In 1 Samuel 16, David was chosen by God to be the next king of Israel. Saul was the current king, but Saul had disobeyed God. Saul had refused to believe in God's promises. And God had decided Saul's not going to be the king anymore. David's going to be the king, and he was anointed. Well, we read, we read last week, and Christian, uh, Christian Park gave us a sermon last week, that God, um, David had an amazing victory after he was anointed to be the king over this giant named Goliath. It was, it was an against all odds. And even today when you watch sports, people still use that analogy. It's a David and Goliath battle today, folks. It was against all odds, but David had the victory in God. And Christian pointed out last week how. Because he kept his eyes on God. Well, David didn't get the kingdom right away. For 30 years, we read in the Bible that he was on the run. He was on the run because Saul, the king who was currently standing, was getting more paranoid and more nervous and more jealous of David who was going to eventually take his throne. It was a really dark time in David's life. He was on the run. He didn't have a home. He was betrayed. He didn't know where to go or what to do. He lost his friendship with his closest friend, Jonathan, over this. Yet God protected him and was with him. But eventually Saul committed suicide and David was made the king. And then David was given uh, victory over the the enemies of God. And so he was able to conquer conquer Jerusalem and make it the city of David. And then what David did after that was he brought something called the Ark of the Covenant. 
It was God's tangible presence with his people. He brought that. It was like a little, little box-shaped thing. He brought that to Jerusalem, signifying that God was with us. And that brings us to this story. We'll uh, look at our text for today. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up to 2 Samuel chapter 7. But if you look up here, we're going to have it as well, and we're going to have it in the New Living Translation. God's promise to David, 2 Samuel 7. Let's read verses 1 through 3 first. Point number one, I can try to make promises. Let's read this. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I'm living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead, do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house. From the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day, I've always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites... I've never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, the shepherds of my people Israel. I've never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? David wanted to do something noble for God. David wanted to build God a house. David had a promise for God. I'm going to do something for you, God. And his prophet's reply was, go, go do it. God's with you. But then we read in, in the last response, God's response was what? God's response was more or less, do you think that's what I want? God's response was, you know what, David? There have been plenty of other leaders before you. I could have asked any one of those guys, but have I ever asked that? I've got to work on that. As I sat across from my friend uh, last week, he was sharing with me his plan to become a better husband. He was sharing with me how, you know, he was going to read some books on being a, a better Christian husband, and he was going to try to inst install, like, date nights into their marriage, and he was going to try to just spend time with his wife every day. And he said, you know what, I also need to call someone to make sure I'm following up on what I said I'd do. i got to work on that. You know, Today is Sunday, and all across the nation, millions of Christians are going to leave church today saying, I've got to work on that. And then if you've ever been part of any Bible study, what is question number three in any Bible study? If you've ever been part of a Bible study, question number three in the Bible study is usually, what are you going to work on this week? I've got to work on that. In the text, we see David's, I've got to work on that statement. He's going to work to make a house for God. It's a great thought, right? But God's not really impressed, and God doesn't really want it. Why? Why? If this was my classroom, I would make you give me some answers, but that, that might not work so well. But why? Why? You know, because I think ultimately when we say, i got to work on that, the source of our motivation is I ought to rather than I get to. 
It's I should rather than I get to. The energy and the power and the source for our change comes from within. It's our ability to pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and do something about it. And I think today as Christians, we do this so often. God's not pleased with David's response, right? Why? Because that's how religion operates. The great omnipotent creator gives a decree and then somebody's supposed to do something so that we can work up to get to where God is. We attempt to have relationship with God based on our own merit. And you know what? I think that's where so many of us are at today. You know, every week we've heard the good news of the gospel and every week we realize, you know what? My life isn't living up to what God has called me to. And so I've got to work on something, don't I? There's a wealth of sermons online. There's emails you get every day with a devotional thought that will blow your mind. You know, you can meet up, go to Bible studies, books, tapes, Christian music. You can work on a lot of things. But you know what? Today, I want to show you this, is that God is teaching David the way in which David and consequently all people will be able to relate to him. Let's go on to our second point. Our first point was what? I can make promises. Point number two is God makes good promises. Let's read verses 8 through 11. If you look up here. Now go and say to my servant David, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all your enemies before you. Now... I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. Starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. God makes good promises. Look at the promises God gives to, isn't this so weird? David's like, I'm going to build you a house. And then God says, let me give you something. Look at what God does. I will make your name famous. This is what God starts with to David. You know, your name isn't just your identity, right? And it's an expression of who you are. It's an, back then, it was also an expression of your power, your authority. And you know what? It's, a, it's something that could be carried eternally. And thousands of years later, in Hoffman Estates, a bunch of people from different nations know of little King David, the shepherd of Israel. God makes good on his promise. What else does God say? God says this, I will provide my people Israel a homeland. You know, here at Harvest, there's a word that goes around that some of us laugh about because it's said so often, shalom, the way that things should be. This, call, this provision for a homeland is a callback to Eden. It's a callback to the Garden of Eden where, you know what, a place where God's people are planted and they're not going to be disturbed anymore. 
a place where people experience God's physical closeness and spiritual closeness in their heart. God says, I'm going to give them a homeland where they can be my people and I'll be their God. And then God also says what? I will give you rest. You know those weeks that you have where that is just all that you need? Just some rest. I would tell you what what time I stayed up till last night, but then you would question the rest of what I'm going to say. But I cannot wait till after church today. The Bears aren't playing, but I'm going to watch some football and rest because tomorrow is Columbus Day, and although Columbus didn't discover America, I get the day off from school. I can't. I will give you rest. I mean, imagine what that meant for the people of Israel. Imagine what that meant for David. He's been on the run for 30 stinking years, and he gets some rest. And David's looking at this promise and like, my name famous? Rest? Land? I want to tell you this, is that God had a rescue plan to save us from death and give us new life. And you know what covenants do? Covenants reveal that there is a way to relate to God, and it's all about the promises He makes. It's all about the good promises that God makes. Every covenant is made with this in mind. It's from Jeremiah where God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Now notice that. God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. God's going to make this happen. And you know what? It doesn't depend on us. God is going to make good promises. God takes the initiative. He assumes all the risk. And he's going to come through on the promises. And if David was going to be a part of that rescue plan, he had to get that. He had to get that it was about believing God's promises. God didn't want David's promises. God didn't want David's, oh, I ought to build a house for you. God needed, to, uh, God needed David to get something straight. From now on, the way that we work is all about my good promises. David's story is just another story of a man that God chose to make promises with. Now, I want to kind of update that slide a little bit. God makes good promises, right? But also, God makes good promises regardless of if you're good or bad. Regardless of if you're morally good or morally bad, God makes good promises. You know what? It's easy to think that God made that promise with David because of David. And some of us think that. There was something in David that really impressed God that he made a promise with him. But So, you know, God, David had this amazing victory over Goliath. You know that speech that David gives to Goliath? Who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? Do you know who the God is that I'm messing, that you're messing with? I mean, that speech is awesome. David shows the faith that he had in God. And and David had this amazing against all odds victory. And then after that, well before that, God calls him a man after my own heart. And then David says, I'm going to build you a house. And then we all step back and go, dang. 
David was pretty good. But you know what? It's no coincidence that this covenant with David is sandwiched between all of these amazing victories and then David's adultery with Bathsheba. It's no coincidence, and you've got to see that, that God in his sovereignty put that smack dab in the middle so that we would get that idea out of our heads. David looks at this woman, takes her, sleeps with her, thinks, dang, I done messed up, decides that he needs to get rid of her husband, has him go to the front of the army, gets him killed, and then uh, marries Bathsheba. If that's, that's the moral failure of moral failures. And right in between in there, in between the good and the bad, is this covenant with David. If you look at every person God has made a covenant with in the Bible, Abraham, uh, Noah, Moses, there's a failure after their covenant with God. Yesterday, uh, as he does every night, um, we had finished doing our, our family uh, prayer. And then, uh, as, as Micah does every night, he, he came up to Renee and I. He, held my, he holds my hand, and he holds Renee's hand. And he looks at us in the eye, and, and this is what he does every night. He, he goes, God gave me the best parents in the world. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for protecting me. And thank you for praying for me. That is a lie. <laughs> that has never, ever, ever happened. I, I should have just left that because you guys were looking at me like I was such a great parent. And I love that when parents look at you and go, dang, you're a good parent. That has never, ever happened. Instead, you want to know what happened last night? The devil done took over my son. After a long day of poor responses and the consequences, uh, Renee and I wanted to bless Micah by giving him this amazing privilege of sleeping in our glorious bed. We wanted to just give him that blessing. And so we brought him into our bed, and I'm sitting here working on the sermon for today. And then 10 minutes into it, he goes, I don't like your bed. I like my bed. It reminded me of earlier in the day when Renee had to go out to a women's event, and so it was daddy daycare time, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to make pancakes for my boys, and don't judge me, but this was the first time in my life I had ever made pancakes. So I was going to make pancakes, I mean, how hard could it be? I looked at the instructions, I made them, both Micah and Ethan were sitting there, and I gave it to Micah, and he took a few bites, and he goes... I like mama's better. You know that response. Well, I was just like, man, you... <clears throat> you know, if our children's appreciation for us and their good behavior kept us motivated to provide for and nurture... The parents are already laughing. If, if, if it was contingent upon them, we wouldn't see many children make it past two years of age, Right? It's not about their conduct or appreciation. 
It's about the undeclared covenant that you have as a parent, that you have as a teacher, that you have as someone who serves in seeds, that you're going to provide for and care for and nurture that child regardless of what they give you. Think about God. Now, it's easy to say, I'm going to do all these things when the reality is still a possibility. It's easy for me to give these things to Micah when I, you know, because I, I have this covenant with him that I'm going to, I'm going to provide for him. But I don't know what he's going to do to Renee and I in the future. Right? The parents are starting to go, we don't know what they're going to do, but we're still going to give it to them. But think of God. God, when making every covenant, knew fully what was going to happen. God, when making this covenant with David, when, when promising him a, a famous name, when promising him a, a land and rest, he knew everything that David was about to do, yet he still made the promise with David. It's amazing. Point number one, I, I can make promises. Point number two is God makes good promises. And lastly, Jesus is God's provision for his promises. Let's read the rest of God's promise. The promises that didn't just end there. Look at where it keeps going. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I'll correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. God continues to make promises, and now he promises a son. What happens often in the Bible is a prophecy is given and it has like an immediate fulfillment. And the immediate fulfillment of God's promises is Solomon, his son. Look at some of these promises for Solomon. I'm going to make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. David was guaranteed that his son was going to be a king. I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring. I will make his kingdom strong. God promises with David, your son, your very own flesh and blood is going to have a kingdom. And that kingdom isn't going to be weak. It's going to be a strong, powerful kingdom. God says, he is the one who will build a house. David, don't get all worked up that you can't build a house for me. Because you know what? I'm going to promise you that your son Solomon, he's going to build that house for me. David even gets this promise. This is like the promise that, that gives so much comfort. You know what? If he sins, I will correct and discipline him. David is comforted in the fact that, you know what? When his son goes astray, God himself will be the one who takes care of him. How reassuring is that? And then lastly, my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul. God's favor will not depart from Solomon. There's some assurance there. 
that David gets. But I want you to look again at these verses and see, do you see Jesus in there? Do you see the promise of Jesus foreshadowed? Look at this. There's only some things that Jesus could be. These verses were fulfilled by Solomon, but eventually they were filled full in Jesus. His royal throne will be forever. Well, that can't be Solomon. Solomon's going to come to an end at one day, but the royal throne will be forever. It says, I will be his father and he will be my son. A foreshadowing that, you know what? Yes, Solomon will be the immediate fulfillment of the promises, but Jesus is where these promises are filled full. And lastly, again, for all time and forever. You know what? These verses were fulfilled by Solomon, but like I said, they were filled full in Jesus. God can only make good promises to good and bad people and keep them without violating his character if someone, if someone would step up and take and keep man's end of the bargain. God is not the teacher who sees that everyone failed on the exam and then puts the curve. God is not the parent who gives up because he, re- he just comes to a point of just exasperation and says, they're never going to get it anyways, I just give up. They can do whatever they want. God is not the family member who lowers his expectations because he's been hurt so much at family get-togethers. God keeps his standards, but how? God didn't just make these promises having lowered his standards. Covenant promises are possible because Jesus fulfills man's end of the bargain. Do you get that? Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, finally came along and fulfilled all the promises that man was supposed to keep. Who else followed every command of God to the T and could satisfy the demands of a holy God? Who else did God's will on earth? No one else was both fully God and fully man. No one else submitted to God's will and died on the cross, although he lived a perfect life. And no one else opened the door to the Father so that we could be considered sons and daughters of God. If you want to read more about how Jesus fulfilled these promises, Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 7. Listen real quick. Hebrews chapter 7.27 says, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. He's our guarantee. You know what? At the end of the day, covenants, if you were to ever have to draw a picture, covenants are just a pointer to the gospel message. Covenants are a pointer that one day Jesus will make a way for God so that God will be our God and he, we will be his people. And this, brothers and sisters, this is the great glory of the gospel. Covenants are just this kind of... Something's going to happen. 
Get ready for it. Get your hearts ready for it because you know what? Jesus is going to be that. And that's why we have this. I think this so excellently represents what covenants are. David, a man whose hands are bloodied and will be bloodied through sin, is reaching out to a promise of someone he doesn't know just yet and doesn't know who that will be or what that will look like, but the promises are given in Christ. Your hands and mine are full of blood, figuratively speaking. If you look to this past week, you could list down all the incorrect responses you've had, all the bad attitudes you've had, not, saying, not doing what you said you'd do, and not doing what you ought to do. But God's great rescue plan, Jesus fulfilled those requirements that you and I were supposed to keep, and his hands were bloodied. So what's our response? You know what? There's no way that any of us will ever meet God's demands. Do you believe that? I mean, do, that, do you feel that, that weight in your heart? That those demands are real to you. You're required to keep them. They're supposed to be on you. But you know what? Jesus has fulfilled all those demands. And you just got to cling to the promise. Some of you have your to-do list of spiritual change. And today you're wondering, what do I got to do? You just got to believe in God's promise. You know, I think change begins when we start by just saying, God, I'm never, ever going to be that. When you finally get to the point and you say, you know what, I'm never going to be the boyfriend or girlfriend or the husband or wife that I'm supposed to be. I'll never be that, God. And you know what? I'm going to fail every single day. When you finally get to the point where you stop downplaying your failures, where you stop saying, well, you know, it was just a little white lie. It's just worry. I mean, what's the big deal? Stop downplaying your failures. Change begins where you own up and say, you know what, God? I have messed up. When you feel the weight of God's righteous judgment that should be on you, but then as you see that weight coming on you, recognizing that only Jesus met those standards, when you receive the gift of God, isn't that crazy? It's, it's, it's unbelievable when you get it. There's that hymn that I love that says, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And there's another part of that verse that now you know what it means. His oath, His covenant, His blood protects me in the overwhelming flood. You know what? It's been now 10 years. I think I've been following Jesus now. I've been trying to follow Jesus now for 10 years. And... Um, I used to think that knowledge was a sign of maturity. And I used to think that maybe even at different times I'd get sidetracked and think that positions 
were a sign of maturity. And I, I used to think that people's recognition were, was a sign of Christian maturity. But you know what? I feel like I'm getting to this place where, to me, a hallmark of Christian maturity is how often do you come back to this message? The people that I, I, I see as really mature in Christ are the ones that get this frequently. They're brought back to the place where they just go, I am undone. I cannot do anything before a holy God. But I thank you, God, for Jesus. You know, David recognizes that. And he prays this amazing prayer in verses 18 through 29. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can look at it. But David's prayer of gratitude. When you get this, when you get the gospel, I'll just read. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you've brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. And what more can David say to you? Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. There is no God besides you, according to all we have heard with our ears. And he goes on and on and on. I don't want to highlight the response, because then we'll make that the work. I've got to respond like this. There's this feeling of helplessness when you realize that all you can do is just thank God for Jesus. And I think that's where God wants us to be. If I were to leave you with a response, it'd be this. Not eat some salmon. Marinate. You know, I can never be a good cook because I don't understand this concept of marinating. I just need to get stuff done. Stuff can't just wait there and just sit there. But when Renee marinates her salmon... And when I take a bite and those juices just flow, I realize that 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 marinating has paid off. And it's caused that to be that much greater and that much better. I would invite you this week to just marinate on what God has done for you in Christ. When you just take your heart and you just place it on the pan of what, you know, the bowl of God's love for you, God's mercy, God's grace given to you, and just let your heart just just soak that in and let it just fill your heart. The response will be worship. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what God is calling you to do. But I know that if you marinate in that goodness, and, and that's where your heart is at. God will call you and God will tell you. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Just invite you, uh, this, this time, we have such a valuable time to let our hearts marinate in the <clears throat> We have an opportunity where we can just... Uh, Just think about what he's done for us in Christ. So I invite you to just do that. Just come before God and tell him that you can't live up to his standards. You'll never be able to be the person that he's called you to be. 
confessed those things even in this last week. Would you also confess, confess your morality to God? You thinking that your keeping of good things is going to make God happy with you. And as you confess those things to God, would you just remember his gift to you, his promises to you in Jesus? And we'll pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. And even for this time, this short time, where our hearts could marinate in the goodness and the mercy and the quality of your promises. Lord, we come before you as a people, as, as a group, and as individuals, and we want to own up, God, and just say, Lord, we have not met your righteous and holy standards. Lord, we are, our attitudes were poor over the last week. Our responses to our family and friends and co-workers have, not, have been much less than what you've wanted. Lord, even in our own hearts and our minds, we don't believe you and, and, and your goodness and your promises. We acknowledge those things. And God, we even confess our goodness to you. We confess trying to keep the rules, thinking that that will make us in a better place with you, that that's what you want from us. We confess that to you. And Lord, we stand joyfully in the helplessness that comes from knowing that Jesus is our only way. And Lord, we just cling to Jesus Christ, the Lord who was fully God and fully man, who came to this earth and fulfilled every requirement that we were supposed to meet and died on the cross and made a way so that we could have relationship with you. And we pray, Lord, that this morning that that gospel truth would come more and more often, more and more frequently to us by your grace, by us meditating on your promises. Our only response, God, now is to just worship you and that's what we want to do. Speak to us in the midst of worship. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.